love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. <laughs> uh, let me pull up my creaky chair and Uncle Jethro tell you a story. <laughs> I don't know. We've been preparing for our weekend getaway, our, our uh, vacation, or not vacation, anniversary weekend getaway. You've been working double time in order to get the time off. I was just wondering how your day went today. You you look like you uh, you had a full one. I was told that Mercury is in retrograde, and that's what's going on with uh, people. Yeah. But honestly, please be nice to customer service humans. <laughs> and I say humans for a reason, because yeah. I am here to assist, and I don't know why you're being mean to me. What was the most interesting part of your day today? Well, it actually didn't involve customers at all. Um I was in the bathroom and uh, just taking care of some some number one. And uh, I heard someone fart and then go, whoop, (laughs) which is what I do. And it's just funny that, you know, that's kind of a weird reaction to a very normal bodily function, especially in a restroom. But we still do that weird shit. Yeah, I know. That's one of my coworkers the other day was like, I wish everyone would just relax. Like, you know, some people are waiting until you leave to drop a bomb. Right. And you just want to be like, just shit. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I worked with a guy. You remember Matthew? Matthew would come bursting out of the restroom door, scrolling through his phone going, hey, guys, look at this. Yeah. He'd rarely close the door even. Yeah. All right, are you ready for my story today? Oh, we're just getting right to it. I'm just going to jump right into no, it. No, I love it. I want to I want to warn you up front, it's kind of sad. Do I? Yeah, mm. kind of sad. I don't know if I can handle sad. We've already watched a movie this week that made me weep uncontrollably. Yeah, but you heard somebody go, oop, after they farted in the restroom at work. So That's true. It kind of balances out. By the way, whoever requested we watch About Time, fantastic film, also made me weep uncontrollably yeah that was an emotional night for both of us yeah okay tell me a story okay on december 27th in 2012 james nichols he died alone in his garbage filled house in poughkeepsie new york he was 82 years old 
Now, everybody kind of thought that James was a bit of an oddball. Um, He was a strange guy. One of his neighbors, a guy named Walter Wiskita, was his neighbor for like 16 years or something. And he said that James's house was just full of garbage. Mm, Hoarder. Big time hoarder. And not just a little bit like floor to ceiling. You've seen some of those extreme hoarding episodes where they have to like climb up on the garbage and crawl across on their belly with their backside still touching the ceiling, that yeah. kind of of hoarding. And not only was his house full of garbage, but Nichols also had seven sheds Ooh. in his yard filled with debris from floor to ceiling. Now, he lived in kind of a modest house. It was on a nice tree-lined street. It had a backyard. It was enclosed with a stockade fence, but then there were all these additional outbuildings Mm. with garbage and junk and just trash spilling out everywhere. Nichols had retired from IBM years before. He was a loner. He was detached, pretty antisocial. He never spoke to the neighbors. His neighbor, Wiskita, said he was very strange. I rarely saw him that much. When I did, he was just standing in his yard staring. He never spoke to anybody. He didn't say hello or anything. He said that Nichols almost had kind of an unemotional feel about him. Okay. That he was just like a blank slate, more or less. Sometimes I would just see him in his backyard. He'd just be staring off into space. He was very weird. Or he would just sit in his car and read the newspaper. Just hang out in his car. He wouldn't go in his house. Sometimes I do that. And your house isn't filled with garbage. That's true. Mostly. Most of the time. Most of the time. Although today, yeah, yeah, it's not it's the best. The end of the week. He also said that once he saw Nichols just driving around. This was like for days. He would just drive around, and he had a store mannequin in the uh, front seat. Oh, with a hat on for the carpool lane. Uh, maybe I don't know, but people thought that was kind of strange that he had sure. a, a dummy in his car with a hat on. He never had any visitors. There were never any guests that anyone ever saw. He didn't appear to have any family or friends, and people just kind of stayed away from him. Neighbors did, because Mm. he was so eccentric and odd. Sure. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't discover his body for a couple of few days, because people just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, he's weird, and we don't you know, really pay that much attention to him. But then finally, the neighbors became concerned and uh, called police, and then they discovered the body. Now, there are many theories as to why... James Nichols was so odd and so introverted. And it appears as though the 1980s were, that was a very dark time. His only child, a son, who also was named James, drowned Mm. in May of 1982. And then on December 26th in 1985, three years later, his wife, Joanne, who was suffering from severe depression because of losing a child in in a drowning accident, just disappeared. They found her vehicle in a parking lot at a shopping mall in town. Now, he'd always been a bit of a hoarder, Mm -hmm. but after that, it appeared to become much, much worse. Now, like I said, he was found dead in his home in December of 2012 after the neighbors had called police. They determined that he died of natural causes. Mm. Officers confirmed that the house was, in fact, filled with personal items, debris, and mostly garbage. According to CNN, they were able to locate two family members of Nichols, but neither of them would claim the body. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying that they'd found two family members 
inside in the, the garbage. House. Yeah, but no, no, okay. no, no. Okay, he was buried by the Dutchess County Department of Community and Family Services mm-hmm. in uh, an unknown, un, unknown location. Now, since no one in Nichols' family came forward to claim his body or take control of his estate, the uh, Dutchess County Commissioner of Finance, her name was uh, Pamela Barak was appointed as temporary administrator. They often have to do this in cases like this where they have to liquidate the um, unclaimed estate. Sure. But the dwelling was in such disarray and such a mess that they hired contractors to come in, haul off all the junk and the trash before they could fix up the place and, uh, and put it on the market. The cleaning process alone took six months Whoa! to empty the place out and clean it. And then they had to start, you know, the repairs on a house that's been buried in garbage for however long. Yeah, it's not good for the woodwork. It wreaks havoc on one's wainscoting. The beadboard does not fare well. So at 5 p.m. on June 28th, 2013, six months after James Nichols was found dead, Mm -hmm. one of the workers was repairing sheetrock in the Nichols basement. Once he punched through, he quickly discovered that it was in fact a false wall behind the wall was a plastic barrel inside the plastic barrel sealed in plastic was Joanne Nichols Mm. or what was left of her. She'd been in there for 28 years. (sighs) Joanne Nichols was a 55 year old former first grade teacher at Gayhead Elementary School in Hopewell Junction, New York. She was very well liked. In fact, uh, you know, every year they they would have the students vote on their favorite teacher, and she was often the one that they voted for. Mm. She was described as very kind, very quiet, very soft-spoken, a deeply religious woman. When she disappeared, the community just, they all kind of pulled together and searched tirelessly for her, of course, to no avail. Yeah. I worried that this is where this was going. So they pulled a barrel out from behind the wall, and what they found in the barrel was pretty rough. Of course, it had been hidden behind the wall for 28 years. And again, it was in one of those giant, like, what are they, 40-gallon plastic drums, and it was sealed shut. And the body had been sealed in airtight plastic inside that drum Mm -hmm. in an apparent attempt to contain the smell of decomp. But even though it had been it had been in there for nearly three decades and the body had plenty of time to completely deteriorate and decompose, everything that remained was still inside this plastic bag. Right. Dr. Uh, Carrie Reber, the Dutchess County medical examiner, said the body was skeletonized. The hands were tied with rope and there was a large area on the right side of her skull that was missing. Oh. And she went on to say that um, the sealing of the body in plastic behind a false wall was probably enough to mask the smell of um, decomp. Yeah. So Uh, blunt force trauma? Is that what that's what? Yeah. (laughs) A few days after the uh, gruesome discovery, Dr. Reber said that uh, through dental records, the remains had been positively identified as Joanne Nichols. And according to the forensic pathologist, the first grade teacher had been murdered by blunt force trauma to the head. Pretty severe. You know, part of the skull was missing. Yeah. 
The retired Poughkeepsie uh, detective, Captain Charles Middlestadt, uh, he ran the investigation 28 years prior, said there was never any doubt in his mind. He said that he knew that Nichols knew where his wife was. Yeah. He said the man was cold. I mean, seriously cold, according to CNN. He said investigators never searched the house because they did not have legal grounds to get a warrant. When they brought Nichols in, he told detectives that uh, his marriage was fine. Now, they did find a note on her computer that led them to believe that she was depressed, but, uh, but not suicidal. Although that's what James Nichols was trying to uh, present was that she was so distraught over the death of their son right. that she just took off or ended her life. The retired detective said, he sat across from me in my office. He looked me straight in the face and told me he thought she was depressed and he hinted at maybe suicidal. We had suspicions right from the start sure. because of the way he acted. So they put Nichols under surveillance and investigators learned within a couple of weeks that he was visiting another woman. Ah. So they confronted him with that and Nichols replied, according to the retired police detective, if you don't have a warrant for my arrest, you can talk to my lawyer. And that is the last time they spoke with him. Wow. They never followed up anymore from that point. He said there were a couple of other twists, too, that raised his suspicions. When they went to the house after Nichols reported his wife missing, mm -hmm. there was no car in the driveway. The car was missing. The next day, the car was in the driveway. I mentioned that it was found at a shopping mall. Well, that's what Nichols said. He said he just happened, happened to, upon it, happened upon it and drove it home. He was just walking around the shopping mall, apparently, and saw his car, had the keys with him, uh -huh. and then drove it home. Uh -huh. The car had been washed and vacuumed, and all the rugs had been cleaned on the inside. He said, I know, before I abandon my family, I want to wash and vacuum my car <laughs> and then leave it in a, ga in a grocery store parking lot. Now, the current captain, Captain Paul Lecomte, told the Associated Press, Obviously, the evidence is very, very old. We might have gotten a better opportunity years ago to pull fingerprints or something like that, but here's where we are. We might not be able to. It's so old. And he wouldn't discuss details of the investigation going forward or what evidence had been sent to the police lab. He said that they wanted to do a fresh round of interviews. Uh, he noted that most of the officers who worked on the case in 1985 are retired or have died. Mm. Police Captain Paul Lecomte went on to say, quote, it's now safe to say James Nichols is a suspect in the case. <sighs> Middlestaff, the retired detective, said he never let the case go. He said, quote, I remember the case like it happened yesterday because every time I drove past her house, yeah. I wondered if she was in there. He said, it's just a sin that he got away with it all these years. I probably shouldn't say this because it's not politically correct, but... I hope he rots in hell. I don't think there's anything not politically correct about that. No, I think we can all get on board with that. I hope he rots in hell. It reminds me, like, there was a, um, there was a Forensic Files episode years ago that I saw where a guy had a mistress who ended up becoming pregnant with his baby. And when she was confronting him about his wife and if he was going to be uh, leaving his family to take on the responsibility of this new baby, um, he killed her and put her in a 
In a barrel. In a barrel. And then just shoved it in a crawl space in the basement. And then when new owners bought the house, they tried to get this barrel out. They're like, what the heck? And... There you go. And there you go. Mm. And the only way that they were able to prove that it was him is because of like these little pebbles of fake flower plastic that they found in the bin where he had worked at a fake flower thing or something like that. But anyway. Interesting. What's with guys putting women in barrels? And then to wall her up with shoddy drywall. Gross. You know. It sounds like he was a miserable human, though. So, I mean, at least we have that to hold on to. It makes me wonder if his son drowning was an accident. Oh, interesting. I don't know. That's just kind of where my mind goes. But then I wonder if, because he, they, people said that after his wife disappeared, he seemed to go downhill, at least mentally. It could just have been a, a normal function of where he was, mm-hmm. and or it could be maybe the guilt of what he had done started to prey on his mind and exacerbate the uh, the situation like him sitting in his car all the time right and not wanting to go in the house or standing in the backyard for hours just staring off into space it could be that his house which is full of garbage and he didn't want to go in there but it could be that the guilt was keeping him from going in there knowing that he murdered his wife yeah. and that she was behind drywall in yeah. the basement. And if you consider the psychology behind walling your dead wife up in a bin and then filling the rest of your home with garbage, I mean, what is that saying about what you think of that human person? Yeah. I mean, yeah you're continuing to fill your home with garbage after you've made garbage of your dead wife. Like I said, you know, he kind of kept to himself even before his wife went missing. Mm. But one of the neighbors who had been in the neighborhood for years said that they remembered just about that time that his wife was really on him about his hoarding. Oh, okay. And she disappeared Christmas Day. Ugh. Their theory is that it was Christmas, they had a big fight about this, Mm -hmm. and he clocked her. It's got to be impossible to conduct any sort of investigation in a home where there's hoarding. It's got to be tremendous. How could you possibly find the minute little details that often lead to a case being broken when you've got 18 tons of, of debris? Right. That's why I keep my car dirty all the time. You're not finding minuscule fibers in there. Thank you. Wait, but if I get, then I want them to be able to... Dang it. This doesn't work both ways. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. In October of 2017, a young man named Tarion Pouncey in the West Pullman neighborhood of Chicago's Southside needed some extra money. So like any enterprising entrepreneurial man, he decided his best option would be armed robbery of a hot dog stand. So shortly after 6 a.m., Tarion entered the hot dog stand, waved a gun in the manager's face, and demanded cash. Once he had the cash, he stuffed the gun in the front of his belt and made a run for it. Unfortunately, the gun discharged and shot him in the groin. The unlucky robber was taken to Christ Medical Center and arrested. He was charged with armed robbery and unauthorized circumcision by a handgun. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. 
I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. The Box of Oddities. With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got this email from uh, Andrew who likes to be called Dragon. So I'm going to awesome. call him Dragon. On a recent episode, you mentioned eccentric geniuses and uh, their respective quirks. When you mentioned Pythagoras, I nearly scared my wife to death in the car with my gleeful giggles. I just knew you would mention the bean thing. If you recall, one of the eccentricities of Pythagoras, when he started his own religion, uh, one of the religious tenets was do everything possible to avoid coming in contact with beans. Mm -hmm. Bad eggs. Dragon says, but you missed a beautiful, beautiful detail. Pythagoras's death is somewhat a mystery because of several different conflicting accounts. But 
The one that is most generally accepted as true is as follows. Locals weren't cool with our boy's cult and decided to chase him all Frankenstein monster style out of the village. Mm -hmm. Pythagoras ran for his life all the way to the lush city of Metapontum where he encountered his greatest foe. A bean field. No. Pythagoras violently burned to death in 495 at the hands of his enemies because he would rather do that than touch a bean. <laughs> Thanks, you weird freaks. Oh, man. I hope you giggle every time you see a legume. Hey, thanks, Dragon. That I had never heard that. That was not in any of the information that, that I saw while researching that. That's amazing. You guys are so smart. I love your little tidbits. You always help us flesh the stories out. And we appreciate that because we're lazy. Not great no. at research. No. What you got for me? What, what, you, what, what, you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? I want to talk today about the Picts. The what? The Picts. The Picts? Picts. Okay. P-I-C-T-S. The Picts. P-I-C-T-S. Picts. Okay. Picts. What are Picts? The Picts were uh, people of Northern Scotland who are defined as a, quote, confederation of tribal units whose political motivations derived from a need to ally against common enemies. They lived in and around the late Iron Age and early medieval periods, and they weren't a single tribe, uh, nor necessarily really a single people. I like to think of it as like uh, the term pit bull. So pit bull's not a breed of dog. Uh, pit bull describes dog types that carry certain characteristics. And uh, so uh, the picks are kind of like that. I see. Most of what is known about them comes from uh, much later on from Roman and Scottish writers and the images that Picts themselves carved into stones. So they're known mostly for being kind of this almost mythical group of people uh, using guerrilla warfare tactics. Um, they're being credited for one of the primary reasons that the Romans didn't conquer all of Scotland is because of the Picts. Really? So every time the Roman Empire tried to move into their territory, the Picts successfully fought back. And the Roman legions were the greatest military force that the world had ever seen. And the only people that they could not conquer were the Picts. How do they do that? Okay. So historians claim that the people of Northern Scotland referred to themselves as Pect. And that's P-E-C-H-T, meaning both that they honored the ancestors and were themselves of ancient stock. And uh, some believe that the Picts were so named because the Romans who observed them and then recorded them called them uh, the painted or tattooed people. But there are some that argue that point that that's not actually it. But they're described often as being tattooed or painted. So interesting. Um, yeah. In some writings, uh, they're described as being painted all over, uh, being tattooed with various colors and designs all over their bodies. And some report that they were co completely covered in blue. So these were a warrior people? 
Uh, yeah. And so I'm I'm guessing that this was a way to make them more, look more fierce mm-hmm. in battle. Yep. That that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Um, other wild stories included that they were actually dark skinned pygmies who hid in holes at night, uh, but had magical powers. And you know, uh, there did become this kind of folklore and mythological connection with the idea of the pits now you said pygmies were they of shorter stature no it just kind of uh interesting stories started to be crafted okay especially as the 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 stories are told much later on Mm. um it changes a bit you know obviously if you're a group of people who have never been beaten by any other group of people and then all of a sudden this one group of people can beat you you maybe start making oh they have supernatural powers right yeah Yeah. i get you yeah they live in holes and they pygmies nope they scooch out of holes very tiny. You couldn't even beat them because they were so tiny. I don't know. <laughs> Scooching in a hole. I don't know. There's hole scoochers. So there was a study of uh, one of the most important archaeological discoveries in Scotland. That's uh, happened in a really long time. And it's actually a Pictish monastery that found that these were not barbarian people who were just warriors who just went around sharpening knives all the time they were actually a very they weren't whole scoochers they weren't whole scoochers okay they were a very advanced society especially considering the region of the world that they lived Mm -hmm. in so they had this use of complex architectural principles and uh we've learned that they had an incredible use of language and the evolution of language and where it sprouted up and when it became more formalized and all that, you know, that's that's something to talk about separately. But um, they seemed to have a much more formal language uh, than much of the surrounding area did. And it was more complex. More complex. Hmm. And they used rather than uh, the, the thought process is that they based it on uh, Roman writings but used their own style. So more like hieroglyphs, but using Roman literature as a guideline. The name Pix appears in written records from uh, late antiquity to the 10th century, uh, where they are thought to have merged with the Gaels. Their language no longer exists. And in fact, the written language is has been so far impossible to decipher. I mean, they had some really nice drawings of fish, so you know that that means fish. Julius Caesar himself was fascinated by the culture. So in his uh, Gaelic War, Book 5, he recorded that they, quote, dye themselves with woad, which produces a blue color and makes their appearance in battle more terrible. They wear their hair long and shave every part of their body, save the head and upper lip. Really? That must have been quite terrifying to see coming at you, yelling in a language you don't understand. Right? (laughs) In medieval times. Now, according to other Roman sources, uh, the only clothing that the Picts wore were iron chains around their waists and throats. Iron was considered to them a sign of wealth and material more valuable than gold. Hmm. And uh, it also served very practical use so they could hang their weapons from any chainy part of their outfit which is probably why they were so well manscaped right because Lots you don't of want shaving. yeah you, 
<laughs> you know, those knives flailing about just, you know, trimming you up all the time. Right. Can't even stop it. No. The early pics are associated with piracy and raiding along the coasts of Roman Britain. And even in the late Middle Ages, the line between traitors and pirates is very unclear, so that the Pictish pirates were probably merchants on other occasions. And so that that was apparently a slow transition. And, that, and that's true. The Really, the difference between a merchant and a pirate is who's telling the story. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> you, you know? As with most people in uh, the north of Europe in that time, they were becoming farmers and living in small communities. They had cattle and horses. They were obvious signs of wealth and uh, sheep and pigs kept in large numbers. And because of the way that they uh, lived or what we assume is the way that they lived based on on ruins that we found, um, Transhumans was common. Now, I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that correctly. T-R-A-N-S-H-U-M-A-N-S. I'm sorry. T-R-A-N-S-S-U. God damn it. T-R-A-N-S-H-U-M-A-N-C-E. Transhumans. I don't know. All right. Anyway, it means to move your herds from place to place depending on the weather and uh, how best the the land at that place will feed your herds. This movement equaled strength. Um, the Romans, in fact, never conquered that region uh, despite the, the repeated attempts and the tribal nature of the Picts meant that they could move quickly from one location to the other. Now, Romans came at fighting in a very structured, very formal way. Very large, slow-moving way. That's exactly right. Uh, the Picts, on the other hand, were were dotty. They were... Uh, nimbly bimbly. Nimbly bimbly. Can't stop, won't stop. And uh, they were not settled to one geographical region, so they would move about. You can't conquer a, a peoples who who aren't there. The Romans, therefore, found themselves facing opponents who had no central cities to conquer. They didn't, the way that they went about warring didn't work with these people. Right. So the Picts were unconquerable because they presented to the Romans this paradigm, which they didn't know how to address. How do you conquer somebody when they don't have stuff to take? Yeah, and they they had stuff. They just took it with them. Right, and they moved around, and you couldn't find them, and they found you instead. Yeah, I can see where that was a pretty good strategy. Yeah, I look at it like when I picture that that fight in my head, I I hear like the clink 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 of Roman soldiers like moving toward mm-hmm. uh, uh, an area, and then ha ha, you know, ha ha. Yeah, I. It's like the, with the envi- Black Knight. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I envision Michael Palin doing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just as you said that, uh, Michael Palin in my mind. Um, so 
the picks were amazing. Lots of uh, really interesting false narratives uh, told later on about their incredible magical skills and, you know, their fierceness. But really, it was probably that they teamed up and they just didn't go at warring the same way that that the Romans did. Um, And like I said, it was not necessarily just this group of people. It was people who are willing to say, hey, the Romans are coming. You want to go at this together? Because, right? Yeah. So Let's, uh, let's paint our faces blue and shave our nethers. Exactly. Speaking of which... This weekend, did we make plans for... Shaving our nethers? <laughs> well, we are going away together. No. Anyway, um, so the picts. What happened to them? We don't really know. There are some ideas that, that they relocated uh, more to the Mediterranean regions. Uh, there are ideas that they kind of just spread. And there are ideas that because they weren't a central peoples, that really it was just the picks kind of petered. Maybe they're all scooching in holes and we can't see them. Maybe they're hole scoochers. Who knows? But it's uh, interesting that they were so advanced as far as uh, architecturally, um, as far as language goes. They were amazing artists. And we don't really have any written history of them by them. We just have stories of them. Do you think that they were absorbed into other cultures probably like like well like the neanderthals were not to compare them but you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the neanderthals didn't just disappear they became us in many ways a lot of us we've talked about this a lot of us carry neanderthal (laughs) dna yeah because they were getting busy in the caves i've been really trying baby (laughs) Well, that's interesting. I think one of the things that uh, fascinates me the most is the idea that their language has totally disappeared. We can't interpret it. Mm. It's just gone. And that makes me, it's interesting, but that makes me sad. Mm. And I think about Native American culture here in the state of Maine, the Penobscot Nation, for example. There is a concerted effort to preserve the language. Uh, That hasn't always been the case. In fact, it was encouraged for so long. Don't speak that language. That's wrong. But but now it's being preserved. And it's fascinating because some of the names of places in Maine, like Aroostook or Penobscot, Kennebec, these are all Native American words. And there's one word for a particular place in... uh, the coastal region, and I can't remember which which one it was, but the name literally means the place where we hunted sturgeon by torchlight. That's the definition of the word. And so it's a snapshot. It's a picture right, right back to a point in time that no longer exists. And I love that. And I'm so glad at least that's being preserved. We are going to... Uh, Bar Harbor this weekend. and the, Or as they say in Maine, Bahaba. Uh, the uh, Wabanaki uh, people referred to, and I, I do apologize. I'm going to apologize before I even say it, because there's no way that I can pronounce this correctly. Um, but they called that area Moniscatic. Moniscatic. Uh, which means the clam gathering place. Well, see, there you go. 
their language was so descriptive yeah. and, it, and it really is it's a picture into the past yeah it absolutely is and i think it also uh it creates an attachment to places when you understand what that kind of word means when you attach a meaning to a word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i was just watching a ted talk not long ago uh, about uh, a people in the amazon who don't have words for left or right they just have the directions that they use so no matter where they're at they will refer to that being to the west of you or to the northeast of you and it has made them inherently so good at directions that they can find their way anywhere and they can drive in boston i'll bet (laughs) one of the few peoples that can it's just it's it's just a great example of how language can change who you are as a person yeah absolutely no that's wonderful i love that that's very interesting yeah so anyway we got a little sidetracked there, but... That's okay. It all ties together. Whole scooch. Whole scooching. Oh, I uh, was just uh, I was just informed that VIP tickets in San Francisco, uh, first day they went on sale, half of the VIPs have already sold out. Yeah. That's exciting. It really is. It's encouraging uh, because... We'll be so embarrassed and I humiliated. I really need it to sell well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is really I need to not talk to an empty room <laughs> yeah that'd be great thank you uh you can get your tickets to uh the san francisco show october 16th the boston show october 27th charlotte north carolina october 28th nashville tennessee october 30th it's all our, tickets on sale now it's our halloween tour and you can find the links at theboxofoddities.com please do That's it for us, and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2019, all rights reserved. Speaking to the listener. I'm Randy. That's right. You're Randy, and I'm Deborah. Yeah. And we're supercomputers. Sure. We're both supercomputers. Yeah. We're here to talk about our new show, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's DJ Yeah. Yeah. He's the DJ for Fantastic. Yeah. He's the DJ for Fantastic. Yeah. Right. Have I mentioned that Fantastic is the greatest band touring the universe? Yeah. And did I also mention that Fantastic is an all-new, all-age musical comedy podcast ideal for fans of Adventure Time, Star Wars, The Muppets, and Rick and Morty? Yeah! Yeah! We're like friends! Well, maybe if some of the friends were aliens who played instruments and traveled to other planets and saved the universe through music, then yes. Yeah. Chandler's getting married! Yeah! Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Are we done? Now is when the band should play us off with some of their music.
should have specified their good music. Yeah! You can find Fantastic on the Himalaya app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.